All right, everyone, and welcome back to the Business of Fitness Podcast. I'm Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have Matt Molinax, CEO and founder of Huron, and him and I met as he was getting his MBA from Stanford. He created a company after he finished school that's creating these personal care products for men at an affordable price. He's looking to kind of tap into the market of guys like me who basically use a bar of soap for their hair, for everything. He's coming at it with a little bit more of a more grassroots. He created the company for him because he had bad skin growing up. And it's just a really cool story of entrepreneurship, growing a company. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. Matt is an awesome guy, super intelligent, has a lot to share, in particular how he set up a fake company to basically test where people uh, would click on the internet and the backlash that he got from it. So enjoy this episode. Don't forget to check out the NC Fit Collective tools if you haven't and you're a gym owner. And let's dive into a phenomenal episode about Huron. Make sure to go check them out, guys. I would really appreciate it. They make great stuff. And Matt Molinax, here we go. Let's dive into it. All right, everybody. So I am here with Matt from Huron, and we are discussing his business. And I think for anybody that listens to this show regularly, you are really going to love this episode. Now, we always talk about the fitness space, but at times we have different people on who aren't necessarily in the fitness space. Now, Matt was a member of ours here at NC Fit for a long time while he was going to his graduate school at Stanford. And it's a super organic conversation we've been having about his business and starting it. And I wanted to share it on this podcast because I feel like it's important for us in our industry to learn from other industries as well. And maybe what he, the struggles he has with starting capital or with packaging or, or with employees or whatever it may be, other gym owners can relate to and hear it from a different side. And maybe that helps them improve their business. So Matt, thanks for taking the time today. Really appreciate you flying out to, uh, here we are in beautiful Campbell, California to discuss Huron. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Jason. This is awesome. So tell me a little bit about what is um, what is Huron and how did you come up with the name? Because we were talking about it earlier and I thought that was really interesting. So Huron is a men's personal care business. Uh, we launched recently uh, exactly 22 days ago. 22? 22 days ago. Not that you're uh, counting. And who's counting? <laughs> Um, so we're starting with the basics. We have body wash, face wash, face lotion with a slew of products to come. Uh, and Huron actually comes from the fact that that was the street that I lived on while living in Chicago. Um, and we can kind of get into this. I'm sure we will, but, uh, you know, my backstory in the space and kind of my relationship with the space is I was a kid that grew up with bad skin and kind of the, the peak of these problems were really when I was in Chicago and living on Huron street in this apartment. Uh, so when thinking about, creating this brand and the touch points and the naming and the color scheme, et cetera, so many critical factors to the early stages of a company. It was fun to kind of retrace that journey and name the company after, you know, kind of the early, the early streets and some of the times when I was at my lowest. That is, that's super, super, I'm glad we started here because I think that's such an interesting perspective. I think with any company, we were talking about being authentic and putting out something that you want. I mean, like in our gyms, I believe in our product because this embodies what I live every single day. And I think for you, you know, talking about the street that you grew up on and how you said that you were at your lowest. I mean, a lot of people would look at you with your background. You were in private equity. You worked for Bonobos. Mm-hmm. And then you were Stanford MBA, which is no small feat, right? That's a great school. So a lot of people would look at you and, and just by the way you look and the way you carry yourself to be like, oh, this guy is super successful. 
um, you know, but you were saying at that point that was a low time. So tell me why, why did you start a skincare line for men? I mean, that just sounds kind of random, but tell me a little more about it. Totally fair question. Um, you know, I think for me in graduating from Stanford, I was thinking about really what I wanted to do after school. And I looked at kind of going back into the private equity realm, the investor realm. And, you know, I'd written all my business school applications actually about being a consumer entrepreneur. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not married, don't have kids. So kind of what better time than now to really kind of take the leap of faith, so to speak. Uh, and I always wanted to produce, pursue something within the consumer sphere. Um, but I knew that if I were to go this route, I had to do something where I felt like I really related to and resonated with the end consumer. And for me as a kid growing up with bad skin um, and kind of having some skin issues, uh, you know, throughout even my 20s, um, you know, this seemed to be a space that I feel like I knew a lot about and could ultimately pass on value to this consumer. Um, So as I kind of, you know, looked at the various categories within the consumer sphere, this certainly made the most sense for me. Yeah. So I mean, I think for anybody listening who, you know, owns a gym or owns a business, I think where it starts with is we were talking about having a competitive advantage, you know, aligning with your marketplace of where you want to go, who you want to, who your, who's your core customer. And for you, you know, your competitive advantage is that you knew who that person, you, you want to speak to yourself, right? Period. And so as you're going through Stanford, what was really interesting to me, we were talking about this while grabbing some coffee earlier, is just how you had that entrepreneurial bug and how how did you know that the finance world wasn't for you? How did you know that private equity world wasn't for you and that you had this entrepreneurial spirit where you wanted to create something new? Yeah, good question. Um, so, you know, going through my second year of business school, I had a number of interviews and was meeting with a number of firms that, you know, were, were tremendous firms. And, you know, I was getting to find around interviews and, and meeting and discussing with these folks. And I, I just didn't have that spark or that, you know, that extreme level of excitement that I had previously. Um, and this is, this was no longer a two year commitment or a four year commitment. This is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And I just couldn't see myself waking up every morning, being super excited to go to work. And I think for me, that was always something that was very, very important. Um, so kind of that entrepreneurial bug started to manifest itself in thinking about ways where, you know, I could really give back to someone who I was five or 10 years ago. And we like to say, you know, know your consumer by being your consumer. Um, and that's really what kind of started was, you know, could we actually create a branded assortment of products that looked, felt, acted like some of the more premium brands that are out there, but deliver these products at price points that didn't break the bank. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you wanted to go to work every day because you're right. It wasn't like a one, two year, three year gig. You're in it for life. And I yep. think there's some people out there that have some type of job and they might be thinking to themselves, you know, maybe this isn't what I want to do. You knew that you were wanting to speak to your consumer. You knew that that person was you. And I get that. Now, talk, talk me through. It's one thing for me to say, hey, I want to start a coffee company. I know I talk about that all the time. It's another thing to actually back that up with some actual data points. And I found that was really interesting for me when talking to you is that even though you're passionate about this, you backed up that passion with, um, you know, not only school, right? MBA, mm-hmm. but also you started doing like test cases, which mm-hmm. was really fascinating to me. So can you take me through what those test cases looked like, including the one, the survey that you put sure. out? So shortly after graduation, we ended up launching a survey to about 1500 guys. 
and we asked questions that were kind of consumer related. So, you know, which products do you currently use? Which face wash do you use? Do you use a moisturizer, et cetera? Uh, and then purchasing related questions. So at what price point do you, for com- do you feel comfortable spending? Does someone buy on your behalf, et cetera? Uh, and we found that guys who, you know, make 50K a year, make 500K a year, uh, you know, we found that $20 was kind of a natural price ceiling. So that was one key learning for us. Um, we found that guys who, you know, whether they live in New York or Milwaukee or Dallas or Austin or wherever, um, were certainly interested in this category. They just didn't know a ton about it. Uh, and they were kind of looking for that outlet that didn't really exist. And that was kind of the void that, that we really saw and, and got a lot of excitement and traction around. This is super interesting to me. So you sent it out to 1,500 guys. How did you do that? Yeah, good question. So kind of leveraged undergrad networks, friends from you know, Chicago from Ohio growing up, uh, and then actually found a few folks who had a pretty decent following, whether it be social or just kind of, uh, you know, big names within their communities and would just offer them kind of cash or Amazon gift cards and say, Hey, for a $20 gift card, would you send this out to your entire email list? Yeah. This amongst several other things we were talking about is probably one of the key things for me is that before you even started getting to this company, before you even, you know, start an LLC or whatever it was, you just simply put out a survey. And you wanted to kind of realize, hey, are, are my thoughts validated by the marketplace? And yep. what is the marketplace saying to me? Super, super cool. I think as a gym owner out there, as a business owner, we survey our members all the time because a lot of times we think we know, um, but it's nice to know, you know, by by looking at the sum of and not just sum. Totally. You know, a good example for those of you who are getting ready for the CrossFit Open, I thought that, you know, maybe it was 50-50 on how many gyms wanted to participate this year in the Open because there was two this year. Ended up coming back that 90% of the ones we surveyed want to do it and 10% didn't. And that, that shocked me. But now you have this critical mass you can learn from. So as you're kind of surveying, which is a very valuable point, you then catapulted that before you graduated into the the test market, which is even cooler. So t- right. can you tell me about that? Yeah. And even just to take a step back, uh, I thought the point that you just brought up was a, was a very salient one. You know, in consumer, whether it's fitness or personal care or apparel, et cetera, it's very important to remember that we are just a sample set of one. Like our perspectives are an N of one, right? What we believe is maybe not the same thing that our members believe or our potential customers believe. So for us, sampling and survey work is extremely important. So we can kind of take off the blinders and maybe understand what we're not addressing. Um, so I thought that was a really good point. Um, to your question, uh, after we launched the initial survey, we actually built and launched a fake brand. So we kind of rolled all these data points together, built a website uh, under a fake URL, disabled the carts. So you couldn't actually check out when you purchased these products. We couldn't actually purchase And this the is when you were a senior in college? Were you no, at- sorry. Th- th- this is at Stanford. This was while you were at Stanford? Yeah, yeah okay. shortly after. Shortly okay. after. Um, and we ran social media campaigns all over the country, focused largely in kind of the Midwest, but but also certainly some, some other markets as well. Um, and the goal of that was, was twofold. One was to see what ads people were clicking on. So did guys want all natural skincare or were they just interested in better skincare or vegan men's skincare, what have you? Um, and then result with that was all the ads were, the click-through rates were basically even. So there was no winner per se that you know all natural outperformed basic two to one. Uh, so that was interesting. And then secondly, once the consumer ultimately clicked through to the website, we started to assess what the consumer journey was once they reached the website. So was the cadence face wash, then lotion, then shampoo, or conditioner, then body wash, then toothpaste? We basically built 60 product pages 
to kind of really throw the gauntlet at this consumer, everything that you could possibly need in the bathroom. And then that ultimately helped inform what our initial Dude. product offering would be at launch. I think so guys, I, I really hope for those of us with businesses or even just, you know, entrepreneurial at heart are listening to this because I, for one, have talked to a lot of people. I don't know if I have met anybody who is as thorough in that process as you have been. Not only did you have this like, you know, survey put out, but then this fake cart. And um, what was interesting to me is how many people tried to actually check out? About 700. So could you guys imagine getting 700 pissed off people because it was all fake and <laughs> yeah. they thought they were going to have Yeah, we chat about this earlier, but, but there was more than one occasion when I received a piece of hate email being like, yeah. you know, your site is totally broken. Like, what's wrong with this thing? And you know, I, I kind of felt guilty, but it was also uh, validating that people certainly felt, you know, uh, excited enough to, to at least pen an email to me. That's right. Now, case in point though, guys, real quick. Um, Matt did not utilize the same brand that he eventually started, which is Heron. Huron. Huron. I always pronounce it wrong. Um, he used a different brand. Yep. So if you are going to go out there and do this case study, which uh, you know I think validates where you're going, do it underneath a different brand because then otherwise people are going to have preconceived notions. And I think you know when you're getting into business, a lot of the times you take risk, of course, right? And you've taken plenty of risk. You had this opportunity to go this one route that had you know massive amounts of money, good security. You chose to go this entrepreneurial route, which doesn't have anything guaranteed. But through these processes, you kind of earn that confidence to go out there and go build up your business. So talk me through a little bit more about what is your product and what makes it different than what I just use, which is when I go into the shower or until I got your samples, when I go into the shower, I just, whatever my wife has there, I just randomly just throw it on. I don't, I don't think anything of a body wash, a face wash, sure. and I don't know if I've ever used a facial lotion. So yep. tell me a little bit more about what is the actual product and then how do you start sourcing this stuff? I mean, how do you develop yeah. it? Yeah, good question. Uh, so when thinking about the actual construction of our products and maybe, you know, quote unquote, why they're different or what's the secret sauce. So, so there's really kind of two ways to approach this new kind of clean personal care landscape. One is to take uh, a good formula and basically strip out in good meaning kind of high performing or, or, or well performing formula and strip out anything that would be quote unquote bad. So parabens and sulfates and silicones and phthalates and aluminum kind of big buzzwords in that category um, and kind of strip out all of those pieces and you're left with kind of a, a straw man product per se. It's kind of unclear what's left in that product, uh, but it's usually fragrance and, and some other pieces that do a decent job of you know making you feel clean. We've actually decided to take the polar opposite approach, which is start from the ground and build up. So incorporate things like skin moisturizing elements or skin conditioning elements, or for a face wash, there's an exfoliant, which is a you know a, a deep cleanser. Um, we actually use crushed bamboo for that. We tried 48. Crushed bamboo? Crushed bamboo. We, we, I think we looked at somewhere between 30 and 35 different exfoliants. And you so, come up with crushed bamboo? Crushed bamboo. How do they crush the bamboo? Yeah, I don't ask questions, but it, it works really well and it feels awesome. Really? Uh, yeah. So, and, you know, even taking a step back a bit further, we're very fortunate to be working with uh, some amazing manufacturers who put us in front of some of these ingredients. Um, so we've really taken kind of a, a bottoms up approach and said, you know, we want to incorporate XYZ into these products and let's do whatever we can to be able to offer those benefits in a cost efficient manner. So we can go create something that's an amazing product, but you know, if it costs $50, that's not going to resonate with the consumer that we're trying to target. So it was kind of a, a balance between creating high performing, 
multi-functioning products, but still being able to deliver those products at a price point that wouldn't break the bank for this guy. So how many samples do you think you got? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, so we started product development um, in basically September of last year and finished around May or June of this year. And we were getting samples every week. So I, I would take one, uh, my partner Matt would take one and we would pass out anything that we had uh, remaining from those two samples to anyone that we talked to, friends, folks that worked in our shared space. Uh, I would let my girlfriend take them to her office and to pass around. So we were co- constantly collecting feedback. And this is where this kind of circles back to your or to our n equals one discussion of, you know, it's important to continually source different points of feedback and perspectives from various folks so that you kind of understand how your products are resonating with with different consumer groups who may or may not even be your consumer. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so you're putting in all these different products. Now, talk to me a little bit about you you created a partnership. And for those people listening who have a, a partnership, I think oftentimes where it becomes really handy is when that person has a set of skills that you don't necessarily have. Totally. And c- creating this kind of clear lines of, hey, you're going to be the front of the house, back of the house, talking about restaurant type stuff. But for you, you have a partner. His name's also Matt. Mm-hmm. Can you take us through a little bit about how did you start to create that relationship and then... Did you guys ever have like the birds and the bees conversation about like equity shares, ownership? I mean, how does that all work? Yeah, we did. Uh, you know, really good question. And those are certainly not easy discussions to have. Um, but I think, you know, Matt and I worked through a lot of those conversations uh, pretty seamlessly because we were just blatantly honest with each, with each other and super transparent. And I think we were good about getting out ahead of those discussions such that they weren't kind of festering behind the scenes. Um, So I think it's important to say, you know, these are important conversations that at some point or another are going to come up. So if you can get out in front of those, that's something that's to your benefit. Um, And to kind of circling back on, on Matt's background. So my partner, Matt, he worked at Estee Lauder for upwards of 20 years um, and most recently was the vice president of global product development for lab series in Tom Ford men's, which are obviously two kind of very prestige men's skincare and personal care businesses, oftentimes sold out the Barney's or the Bloomingdale's or the Neiman Marcus's of the world. So he had just an unbelievable kind of domain expertise level of creating skincare products that was historically reserved for kind of the 0.001% of guys, yeah. but was super interested in bringing that technology and that level of functionality to guys everywhere. Um, how'd you meet him? Yeah. So we were, uh, we shared a mutual connection from, from business school. So an alum from Stanford had worked with Matt previously, uh, kind of connected the dots when I moved to New York. Uh, but to your point earlier around kind of complementary skill sets. So from my days at Bonobos, from working in the kind of the consumer investing sphere, you know, I had decent financial chops. I had some exposure to marketing, um, but I didn't have any idea on how to create product. And I actually started Googling contract manufacturers, which to me just seemed idiotic at the time, Uh, but I had no idea where to start. Right. Right. Um, And this is a category where a lot of brands aren't readily willing to tell you who their partners are or where they make the stuff. Um, So when I met Matt, it was amazing because we were able to leverage some of the kind of contacts within his network. Uh, And like I said, we've been very fortunate to to work with some of those players who without Matt, we probably wouldn't have been given the time of day. Uh, So it worked out very, very well. I mean, I think the important thing that you bring up is just having the tough conversations are going to come up at some point. Mm -hmm. You might as well have them in the beginning before that becomes toxic. And I think that's a, it's a really valuable point. Now you've decided to create your materials um, for lack of a better term. Yep and bottle in the United States. Yep. 
And is that something that just, I mean, why in the United States? I mean, why can't you just get this stuff manufactured in Asia somewhere? The actual, not the bottles, but the actual mm-hmm. component inside. Is there, uh, why California? Yeah, good question. Uh, so we have two suppliers, one in one in New Jersey, one in California. So one on, one on each coast. Um, and for us, it was really about having accessibility to, you know, amazing manufacturers, but also being able to develop relationships with these people. These are true partners of the brand. Uh, we speak to both of them on a weekly basis. We're very involved in development. They're very involved in the progression of the brand. We like to invite them inside the brand walls and make them feel like they're part of the team because they are. Um, and that just felt easier to do with a domestic partner than someone internationally. Yeah, for sure. Now, as your company is growing, you've been on, you've been in business now 22 days, yeah, right? Who's counting? <laughs> who's counting, right? Hitting good trajectory. Yep. Now, as you guys grow, when do you think you're going to know when it's time to take on a new staff member? And the reason why I ask is there's a lot of people that are in business or as gym owners who get to this point where they're working, they're coaching, let's just say seven to eight classes a day, but they're working in their business, but not on their business. Mm-hmm. You are obviously working in, on, and all around, and your partner, I assume, is as well. How? When do you know it's going to be the time to, to delegate some stuff out and, and potentially hire somebody? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and something we've thought long and hard about over the past few weeks. Uh, I, I think for us, the time is, or the, the runway of just you know, being a company of two is shortening uh, rather quickly. And we'll probably look to onboard someone in the in the very near term. But I also think it's important that, you know, both Matt and I had firsthand experience in going through all the processes that go into building a brand. So we've done the digital marketing thing. We've worked on how to build a website. We've talked through development, just the two of us. We've worked through supply chain issues. We handle customer service. Um, so we understand how each piece of the pie works and also how important each part of the puzzle is. Uh, so that when we, when we interview, when we hire, um, we can not only give terrific direction to whom we hire, but also have a really good understanding via empathy of, of how the process works. And as your first delegate out, what do you think it's going to be? I mean, now that you guys have both seen the full spectrum of the business, what do you think is the first thing you're going to pull off your plate and why? Hmm. That's a really good question. You know, I think some of the the candidate profiles that we're looking at now is is for some junior folks who are just really good athletes who can do a bunch of different things, um, but who are young and hungry and want to tackle various categories within the business. I don't think I'll ever totally remove myself from one vertical in particular, uh, but just having some help and some backup uh, to you know to go through customer service emails or to help with marketing campaigns um, because those things are very very important to us as a brand. But you know. Time is our most finite resource. And, you know, I wish I could do all those things all day long, but we just can't. Right. Yeah. Finding those good people. And, and so, you know, you, you took on funding. Yeah, we did. So, you know, I don't know how many, um, gym owners necessarily take on funding. I think some of them do, but when you went out and you went and pitched this company, you took on funding. What what did you learn from that experience? Well, you learned quickly how to take no's. (laughs) How to take no's. Yeah. How many no's do you think you got? Oh, uh, it's a, it's a long list. And some some groups more than one no, which is great. I would even go back to them. It's like, yeah, it's still a no. Really? Um, so that was, uh, <laughs> that was an interesting process. But, you know, the, fundraising is a very, it's, it's a tough process. You learn a lot about your business. You learn a lot about yourself. Um, but at the same time, it's been rewarding for us. We've raised about a million bucks. Uh, we're looking to potentially raise a little bit more. But it's, it, was a, it was a very humbling experience. You know, I thought that, 
you know, obviously, you know, in hindsight, it's always 2020, but, you know, I thought that you know, coming from a Bonobos background with some consumer investing with a Stanford network, that fundraising may be a little bit easier than it would be for others, but it was a, it was a tough process, but I'm excited with where we're at and the supporters that we currently have on the roster. And, you know, we're, we're sprinting a hundred miles an hour going forward. So when you're, I mean, I want to dive into that a little bit more yeah. though, because you're basically, what you're saying is something I try and think about all the time is that no one owes me anything. Totally. Just because you came from a Stanford background doesn't give you, I mean, that's just a piece to the yep. puzzle. Sure. So as you were going out for this funding process, what could you have done better? You think? That's a good question. I mean, I think that originally I, I may have gone out a little too early with some of our materials. So you know, we, we didn't get finished with the full brand building process until about November of last year. So when we were kind of raising our early capital, I was, mm. you know, pitching a brand name that wasn't going to be our real brand name. I was pitching a deck that had packaging that wasn't our packaging. And I was really pitching an idea that had no traction. Oh. Um, so I think what one of the learnings that I had from this process is, you know, make sure you have a really coherent story that is super tight with branding that will appear on the market um, and then be super diligent about the parties in which you're targeting uh, kind of out of the gates. Cause I was kind of spread a little wide, I think, and it becomes very difficult to manage Yeah. versus saying like, okay, this is the group of 10 or 12 that I'm going to sprint after. And here are the questions that they're going to ask and here are my responses for them. And to some extent I had a lot of those things mapped out, but you know, I certainly think there there were areas that I could have improved upon yeah, if I had so the you chance might have, to go back. You might have kind of approached it too soon with some people. I think so. you just taking a little bit more time. I think so. so. I mean, at this point, from a branding perspective, I mean, you have a very clean story. Hey, I grew up on this street. I had bad skin. I've identified ways to improve that for myself. Now we're going to provide it to other guys who don't think anything about their skincare. But here's a great product that, as you said, A-plus products. For guys everywhere. For guys everywhere. Yeah. I think that's super cool. Wow, that, that's interesting about the um, the funding. I've never really thought about it that way. I think when we're looking for funding, I think you just kind of, I mean, we haven't gone out for a funding round, but mm -hmm. I would imagine you kind of get eager, right? Especially yeah. for you coming out of college, you have this idea, this concept, you want to get at it quickly, but maybe if you had just slowed down a little bit, it would have maybe had less no's, but maybe now you got the right yeses in the place. Totally, totally. And again, it's a, it's a total learning experience, right? And, and I think where in the early days, I would almost take it personal when I would get a no. Right. They're like, oh, like you don't believe in the vision, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what I learned over time is it's almost beneficial to get a quick no. So I can say, okay, like, thank you for not wasting my time more or less. Right. Because I would rather now get a quick no than to have someone say like, oh, interesting. Like let's catch up in a few weeks. And then I end up emailing that person a few times. Then maybe they get back to me three or four weeks later about scheduling a call for two weeks after that. And it's just this process that drags on. It can be very mentally draining versus now if I get a quick no, like, great, like, not personal, totally get it. Maybe not a fit for the firm or the person, but now I can go focus elsewhere. Yeah. You know, almost like uh, as being an employer, when you let somebody go, you tell yourself that this is going to be better for them when you let them go, because it's just not a good fit. And long-term, it's just not going to work yeah. out, but it's still always hard to, to explain that to them, right? Yep. That, that, you know, when you fail, fail fast so you can move on. Um, that's, that's, that's interesting perspective that you picked up on yourself. And I think that's something, you know, as the more I get to know you and the longer we've you know been talking for a while, I think that you're, you're kind of utilizing each experience, this business to kind of like, okay, I learned something from that. Let me catapult that and then develop it. Totally. So what's the next step, um, for your brand? I mean, you're putting out, I've used your products. I'm 
I'm really excited for where this company's going to go. And I think that you, more so than anything, we interact with people on a daily basis and we want to surround ourselves with people that are authentic to their message. You know, you are what you get, right? You CrossFit, you're a super fit guy, you take care of your skin. I think it's going to be a, a, a huge company in the future. What products, I know you have a few products out currently, mm-hmm. right? But then what products do you want to get into in the future? Uh, what's the plans for your company? Where do you want to go? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I mean, I think for us, it's really about being a platform approach to men's personal care. So we're not going to be a one product company or even a three product company where we, where we stand today. Um, but really learning, you know, what guys want us to bring to the table. And we can do that from testing. We can do that from uh, customer service surveys, et cetera. Uh, but we, we do have a few products coming out in the near future. We will have a deodorant. We will have a few hair products, um, some more face products, et cetera. Um, but really this notion of we could conceivably be the answer for any question this guy has in the bathroom. And I think that becomes really, really interesting because personal care products is a huge category across both men and women. It's almost a trillion dollar business. Um, so to think that we could even take a little snip of that pie, um, you know, is really exciting for us. Yeah. Now I want to ask you something about, um, social media branding and marketing and things of that nature. Cause you seem to be a little bit more grassroots, create relationships, relationships will create more relationships, more relationships. You know, I, I was listening to a podcast about, um, Chick-fil-A. And one of the things this gentleman said, who's the head of marketing there, I thought was interesting. I want to create more fans. I'm not trying to get more sales. And the more fans you have, then obviously the more sales you'll get. And so for you, when it comes to marketing, what type of strategies are you guys going to implement in a, you know, I mean, as an owner of a business, you're an e-commerce business. Mm -hmm. Now we have a brick and mortar, um, but there's also people listening to this that are e-commerce and brick and mortar. What type of strategy are you implementing? And then why have you chosen that versus other strategies? Yeah. Uh, so as a direct to consumer business, we will certainly have some sort of digital presence. I, th- I think that is kind of a must have in 2019. Um, but what we talked about earlier is I have no interest in only relying on social media as a channel strategy for us. So what we've done is thought about what we're kind of calling IP marketing, which is in-person marketing. So it's getting offline and that just doesn't mean billboards or direct mail, but you know, does it mean going to a tailgate in college football season and passing out free samples? Uh, we want to not only be where our consumer is at, but also where he doesn't expect us to be. So whether it's passing out free samples uh, at a CrossFit competition, I, I just got back from the games a few weeks ago where I was there, which was, which was super exciting. Um, you know, we do have a few college campuses we'll visit in the fall to do some similar uh, events and exercises. So I, th- I think for me, it's really getting kind of offline um, where we can actually kind of have a meaningful one-on-one conversation with our consumers where we can actually tell our story. And while those efforts aren't scalable over time, I think for a young brand, the opportunity to create a cult-like following is really developed in person. It's not developed digitally. And if you can get a, a group of a thousand consumers, let's say, who are just maniacal about your product, that will be your best marketing engine over time. And I think it's about, again, kind of not just relying on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Snapchats of the world um, and thinking about what are these other atypical marketing opportunities that we may have and, and just sprinting at them hundred miles an hour. Dude, I love that. So IP marketing, right? In-person marketing. In-person marketing. Whatever happened to just reaching across the table and shaking somebody's hand. I exactly. Think, I think you're spot on. So you're at the CrossFit Games, you're going to these college footballs. 
being at you, you said a quote, I just want to quote it. It's like being in places that your customer wouldn't expect you to be at. I think that's really unique because on social media these days, you get a lot of ads for a lot of things and your, your product would be a perfect ad, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Hey, have messed up skin or whatever, like sure. you need something better. Here you go. Yeah. But I think the in person, right. is just such a, such an interesting take. I love what you said about, um, a new brand. Like, so so scale-wise, social just helps so much, right? For sure. But as a new brand, you're trying to create this network of a thousand people that are just maniacal about your brand. Mm -hmm. And as a gym owner, that's what I think about all the time. If I can get 100, 200, 300 people to just love us, we're going to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and how hard is it to get that many people to love what you're doing? It's not that hard if you're out there personally connecting with them. But if you're doing it online, it's a lot tougher. Yeah, and I think social media is tough too because early on you can get you can entice people to buy the product but it's kind of like a, a drug where all of a sudden you start to spend twenty dollars to acquire a customer then in three months all of a sudden it's 25 then in three months all of a sudden it's 30 and you huh. keep justifying these efforts um but what if you could acquire customers in troves for 15 dollars a piece and you're doing that by uh you know meeting them at crossfit competitions or meeting them at college football tailgates or at undergrad entrepreneurship programs like who knows what the what the vehicle is, um, but I think people are so married to what's happening digitally that uh, people are kind of missing out on other aspects within the marketing ecosystem um, that are kind of untapped. And the way that I've thought about marketing to date is it's very circuitous, right? For, for the longest time, there were there were billboards, and then uh, there were direct mail campaigns, and Sears owned the catalog business. Then yeah. over time, everything moved digital. Now. It's so concentrated digitally that, you know, what can you do to get offline and get away from the noise to stand out and actually be different? You know, 10 years ago, maybe not even like that, that was like the new, the new show in town, right? It was to be yeah. on Instagram to have a presence, but that's, that's busy now. Um, and it's hard to do and it's hard to do efficiently. Yeah, so it's, what, it's what else like can you do? It's a standard though. Totally. If your company, it's a standard. It's like an expectation you're going to have a Facebook group yep. or whatever for your brand. But what's not the standard is you going out there and creating conversations across the games. I think that's really unique. And I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but has that helped you be able to pitch your company better? Because now you're getting in front of thousands of people or hundreds of people. hundred percent, hundred percent. And we're, we're soliciting real time feedback. You know, we're having guys like literally smell the body wash. Be like, what do you think? Like, Oh, it smells great. Like, that's awesome. Like, I, I love this company. The branding's great. Like, or, you know, I wish you did X, Y, Z, or that would be cool. Or what about, uh, this product, like, do you guys have that in your portfolio? Oh, well, not yet, but that's that's really great. Thanks for the feedback. So th these are real-time conversations you can have that you may never scratch the surface of if you're just deploying money on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, it's feedback that is really invaluable to any brand, regardless of what you're doing. Um, and it's free, right? Because you're actually talking to the consumer. Yeah. I mean, what I picked up on from this conversation so far is, you know, you took, you did your due diligence before you started. You've had the birds and the bees conversation with your partner. But I think this marketing piece is really unique and different. And, and also taking your time for going out for funding was 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 an interesting concept and in how you're learning f moving forward. But this marketing piece, I think, needs to be said over and over to people because I, I think even for us, we think about it all the time that everybody has kind of shifted over here, but there's still a lot of opportunities over here. And uh, yeah, I remember making cold calls back at the gym and you get these slips of leads <laughs> and that was just old school way, yep. right? Yep. Wow. But, but I will say, and, and probably analogous to what you're building it uh, here, um, is the, the power of word of mouth. And we already have, you know, amazing input from a lot of our consumers around, you know, which products they like and, you know, 
you know, holy cow, I've never used a face wash before. This is amazing. Um, and I would imagine with your clients here and your athletes here that, you know, they're going to be your best ambassadors, yeah. right? To go attract their three friends or their sister or whomever to come into the gym one day. And it's kind of how you facilitate those conversations in the gym that could really lead to an increased consumer base over time. Yeah. Well, Matt, I got to tell you, man, I mean, look, we've known each other for a while. Starting off as a member, watching you grow your business has been super rewarding for me. I'm really happy to have you on the podcast. If if gym owners, coaches, people want to get involved, and I would highly, highly, highly recommend uh, you guys do, at least support uh, Matt with, you know, just try it out. Look, worst case scenario, how much is your product? Uh, our body wash is 14 bucks. So you can get a, a kit for a travel kit for 20. That has so all three. you might get a life-changing product for That's 14 right. or 20 bucks. <laughs> worst case scenario, you don't like it. You you yeah. email Matt and tell him his product sucks. You can email me directly. Totally fine with that. <laughs> so if people want more information about the product, if people want to connect with you personally, what's the best way to do this? Yep. Uh, so our website is usehuron.com. Uh, my email is matt at usehuron.com. Usehuron. H-U-R-O-N. You nailed it. Nailed it. And use. Use. Huron. Okay. Yep. Uh, and we're at usehuron on Instagram. So. Usehuron. Yep. And um, okay. So guys. Hit up Matt if you have any questions, concerns. Go support them. And, um, dude, I, I, I am so fired up to watch what you do with your company. And um, I'm just looking forward to watching it from the sidelines and seeing how it grows. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's, it's been fun to grow this far, and it's certainly been fun to have, you, to have you involved and be on the podcast. All right, guys. Well, hey, everybody have a phenomenal day. And make sure you go check out usehuron.com.